Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Easter 2021. We get last year there was 5 of us in the room. And that was that was just the crew to to pull off the the live stream which by the way welcome to our online people. So, I think this might be a first for me, but I want to actually starting off with a joke. I just thought this was so funny. It's a camouflage Easter egg saying to brightly colored Easter eggs, I swear it's like you guys want to be found. Because <laughs> Sarah and I were packing some Easter eggs last night. Some of them were camouflage, and I was like, man, these things are pretty cool. And then, then that ran across my feed. I'm like, I got to show that. That's funny. I did. I laughed. I laughed. Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, you got to see this. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's cute. But today, I want to talk about the spiritual side of the resurrection. And I really just want to walk through right at the end when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and, and kind of look at what happened. You know, we have the stories from the front side, from the, the physical side. We have all the testimony. We have the descriptions of what he went through, even Isaiah 53. We have the exchange description of all that he went through while he was on the cross. You know, Isaiah prophesied a lot about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah 52 and 53, there's so much in there that talk about the soulish and spiritual things that happened while he was on that cross, the exchange of him dying, not just for us, but as us. So consider this. It's not really a teaching. It's almost like a more of a walk through those couple of days. And I kind of want you to just think about it. Use your imagination. You know, let your guard down a little bit and, and just relax and just, just take in what he went through and the decisions that he made. You know, like as I was preparing this, this is what stood out to me are the decisions that the father made to risk it. It was a very risky thing to empty himself and become human. You know, we think it was just a rigged system because he's God and everything. But no, he limited himself in every way like we are and became human to show to, to, to as a human because humans had authority and dominion over this planet. We had to take it back, and we had to pay the full penalty of the curse, of breaking the law, and all of that. And there's some passages that we touch on, Jesus as a human, touching every aspect that, that was broken between us and God, and he restored and then gave us even more than we had before we were ever even, before within what they had even in the garden. So I want to start with this in Luke 22, and this is Jesus, you know, let me just say, Jesus had read the scriptures. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was about to go through. And we hear a lot about the torture and the difficulty of the cross, you know. Yes, he was beaten. He was tortured. He was unjustly accused, arrested. You know, I got that in reverse order there. But, up, but you know, so we see the whipping, and if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, it's pretty realistic. I mean, that, those kinds of things actually happen to him. But we don't always get to think about what happened after he died, before he rose again. 
So this whole mess, this message is not all about that, but it does touch on that. And to me, that was the greatest test of his faith was staying faithful while he was in the grave, conquering Hades, conquering death as a human, and then, and then the father rescuing him out of that. So we start in Luke 22. This is Jesus in the garden. He's right before he's about to allow himself to be arrested. He says, and, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Man, I love that. How many, has, has anybody been to Jerusalem and been to that garden? You can actually go there. Yeah, one person, two. I see a few hands, yeah. That's the tour that I would like to take and go over there and see. I mean, I understand that there are trees and rocks that are probably still in that region that were there when he was there. Some said, one said yes, one said no. <laughs> That's what I heard. I don't know. But he's, so he's there, and he knows what's coming. And it doesn't say it here, but three times Jesus prayed to his Father, to God. I'm not, I'm not so sure about this. You know, can we do this a different way? This cup means this thing that I'm about to go through, my lot in life, this experience that I'm about to go through. Can we do it another way? Now think about that. This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. And he's having second thoughts. Have you ever had second thoughts about walking in what God has called you to do? I mean, think about it. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth thoughts, you know? I mean, seriously, how often do we question what we really do feel like God has placed on our hearts to do? Even if it's just the smallest thing that we can do. So I don't know about that. I don't know. What if Jesus had done that? I mean, honestly, think about it. I, I want this to be so real to us of how human that he was. What if he would have said, I don't think so. I changed my mind. I'm ready to come on back up to you, Father. He could have done that. Justifiably, he could have done that. He totally, absolutely could have done that, left us all on our own and gone. But he didn't. He knew what was coming, and he went through it anyway. For one reason only, you. Say me. me. He did it for me. And then think about that. God was with him even in this. An angel came to strengthen him. And then we see he allows, himself to, so he allows himself to be arrested. They take him. They, you know, he's unjustly accused. He's falsely arrested. He remains silent through most of the trial. They find him guilty, an innocent man guilty. They begin to beat and whip and torture him, and he remains silent. He just, he knows what it, you know, he had already settled in his heart he was going to see it through in that garden, right? And think about that for just a minute. As he's, you know, at any moment, he could have stepped away. He could have walked away from that. And there's an image in my mind that I have, and, I, and I've talked about it here before, but I think about when he was finally, they were done torturing him. He was carrying that cross up. And I would imagine most people that were getting ready to be nailed to a cross were probably struggling. You know, I mean, think about that. What would you do if your hand is about to be nailed with a railroad spike into a giant piece of wood? What would you do? You'd probably be fighting, you know, you'd be maybe pulling away from them. They got to tie their hands down to make them stay there. 
And in my mind, I, I don't know if this is just a vision that God gave me, but I see Jesus just willingly lay down onto it and then lay his hands out and look right at the guy that's about to nail the spike into his hand and look right into his eyes and think, I'm doing this for you. And that was us. We put him there, right? It was our sin that did that to him. And I just see that. And then he lays his other hand out, and he just willingly takes it. And I can just imagine these Roman soldiers that were looking at him like, this is different. I, I don't, this has never happened before, you know. And he willingly lays his arms down, lays his hands down. And so he's hoisted up on that. And here's a description. This is a prophetic description in Isaiah 52. It says, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You know, I love reading this particular passage in different translations because it says his visage was marred more than any man. In other words, he was beaten up and destroyed and brutalized more than any human had ever experienced with that particular death. Why? Not just because they beat and whipped him so horribly, but because when God put our sin into him as the punishment for breaking the law, us breaking it, the full curse that was in the earth was put into him. Those were the effects. It just, it just destroyed him. And to get graphic, you know, there are some historians that analyze the language of the description of what he looked like up there. He probably had his back torn open, maybe even his organs hanging out. He just didn't even look like a human. One translation says it was hard to recognize that it was a human up on that cross. Now, we don't know that for sure to the degree, but it's, it, there's, God takes the time to inspire Isaiah to write hundreds of years before it was going to happen that he was beaten so badly, he was, he's, he was so brutalized and so affected more than anybody had ever been. So he's on that cross, and I just think about it. So this is his heart while he's up there. When he's in the garden, he's thinking about this. And this is what we do, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But for the joy set before him. The joy, say, I am that joy. And you personalize that, you know? If you ever feel afraid of God or you ever feel guilty or ashamed before him, go here. Remember what we're talking about today. Go there. Go into the heart of God for you. And that is you bring him great joy for him to make the decision to suffer such a penalty on our behalf. Don't ever go to him thinking that you're less than or that he's you know, doesn't want you or he's rejecting you or he might reject you because you make too many mistakes. He went through too much trouble for you to be able to mess it up. And then on to Isaiah 53, this is what's going on spiritually while he's on that cross. This is what's being offered to us, to us as believers now. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. Uh, afflicted. And the griefs and sorrows is 
other translations, it's actually diseases, our sicknesses. He bore our sicknesses and our diseases. That's why Peter tells us later that by his stripes, we are healed. He paid for your healing on this cross. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in your life, is in your body, giving life to your mortal body, even in this moment right now because of this. He paid for it. He bore it. He didn't just carry it. He became. He became it. So, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was, bare, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Another translation says the chastisement in order for us to gain peace with God was upon him. So you have peace with God. Say, I have peace with God. You know, you are that joy that he endured for. You have peace with God because of it. God is not mad at you. In fact, he did this for the whole world. Now, that doesn't mean the whole world is saved. You have to exercise faith in what he did to receive this salvation. But still, he paid for the whole sin, the all sin of the entire world. God is not holding anyone's sin against them because of what Jesus did. The issue is not sin any longer. It's whether or not you're in Christ. Amen? <clears throat> he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this was also happening. This is the new covenant fulfillment. So for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Say, I am righteous. If you have trouble making those kinds of statements, I am the joy that he endured the cross for. I have peace with God. I am righteous. One more time. I am righteous. Is that not what it says? Do you believe the Bible? It might be a little chilly in here. I see people wrapping up. And on this cross, he didn't just die for you. He died as you. You know, it's like it's not just an open door. It's an actual exchanging of natures. It's an actual changing of the kind of being that you are, making you a new creature, making you a new creation. Truly, you are a new creation in him. Say, I'm a new creation. Right? So you are that joy. You have peace with him. You are righteous. You, have a, you are a new creation. Right? Let's keep going. Ephesians 4. I love this. This is so powerful to me. And this, this, this part was very meaningful to me because of how I got born again, the circumstances that I was in when I received the Lord. I mean, I was basically crazy, possessed, and thought I was dead. And it was nuts for quite a while. And it was torture. But I would read through eventually when I discovered about the Psalms, I remember reading through the Bible and looking into the Psalms and seeing these prophetic utterances from David and from, and from Solomon about the suffering Messiah in the grave. A lot of people were not taught this a lot because a lot of people are, don't, don't agree that Jesus passed into Hades. People don't believe that. That's like contended in Christianity, but he did. And we have so much evidence in the Psalms that he went into that place 
to conquer the, to the power that that place had. Now, that's not hell, the eternal lake of fire. That's the holding place of the wicked until the final judgment, but he went into that place, and this talks about it. Isaiah 53, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 8, and this is actually quoting Psalm 68, 18. So I have some homework for you, and it's not just Psalm 68, but I want you to read Psalm 18 sometime this week and read it from the perspective of it's the Messiah in the grave experiencing what he's experiencing, and then the resurrection happens, and then the ascension and being given his authority back. That's what's happening in Psalm 18. But let's read this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But, he, but also that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. And the lower regions, in another translation, is Hades. But when you do the research, it's talking about that place. He descended into... Um, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That, that phraseology, fill all things, is God emptying himself as a human so that humans could also have this victory because mankind had dominion, mankind broke it, mankind had to fix it. He went everywhere that a human could be and overcame it so we could be free from it. He freed you from hell. He set you free where you never have to go to that place. All because he loves you and you look at him and you say yes. Amen? And then this is the Psalm 18. Um, so Peter in Acts 2 actually quotes a couple of different Psalms. There's a precedent set in Acts 2 where Peter is describing um, the, the Messiah's perspective, but he uses the psalm to talk about not being left in Hades. You will not leave my soul in Hades. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Peter is validating Jesus as the Messiah. He's using prophetic psalms, and then when you go to those same prophetic psalms that Peter used to verify that Jesus is this Messiah that David was talking about, then you look at Psalm 18, and it's incredible. This is just one little selection from it. The, so imagine Jesus in the grave after having died on the cross. This is his experience. Uh, Paul validates it and Peter validates it. So the pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Our suffering Messiah. The sorrow of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew for Hades. Hades is Greek. Sheol is Hebrew. Hebrew would be Old Covenant, a Testament, Greek being new. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled, and the foundation of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. And then it goes on to describe the resurrection, and the ascension. I'm telling you, do yourself a favor and go read Psalm 18 today. Say today. today. Sarah would say it's today, not today. But that's because she was born north of the Mason-Dixon line, you know, so she... And then this. This is amazing too. This is after the resurrection. Jesus, 
is in the is in the garden or in the tomb, just right outside the tomb. And he, you know, the first person that he reveals himself to is a woman. God's okay with women in the ministry, not just because of that, but there's a lot of other things going on. But you know, you'd think he'd say, anyway, I'm not gonna go too far into that. <laughs> but I love this. This is interesting. There's more going on here than we realize. So Jesus says to her, Don't touch me, for not yet have I ascended to the Father. Now go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. My Father and your Father. And to my God and your God. Isn't that so powerful? I mean, words matter. He's saying something here. My Father and your Father. My God and your God. We are one. And for, for a Hebrew to say something like that, to, to grant you, because that would happen, adoption would happen. And if you were, if you as a brother brought someone in and your father adopted them, you, you considered them a brother. You considered them part of the family, right? There was no separation. You weren't the adopted child. You were full inheritance child. This is what he's saying. I've bought this inheritance for you. Now, the don't touch me part, we've talked about this in here, and you know some of you are aware of what that is, but that is a throwback to um, what they would do in the, under the Levitical priesthood, you know, under the Hebrew structure, under the, um, under, the, under the law, under the Mosaic law. When they would, when the high priest or the priest would execute the sacrifice and collect the blood, they would actually announce because they would be going through the people on the day of Yom Kippur, don't touch me, I've not yet offered the sacrifice of the lamb. I've not yet offered the blood of the lamb. I've not yet offered the blood of the lamb. Don't touch me. So the priest would be walking through and he would actually have this uh, censure that he would have and he would swirl the blood to keep it living right after he'd committed the sacrifice and wouldn't want people to touch it because why? So that the blood wouldn't be defiled. It's very interesting. And then he would go in with the blood into that holy place and offer the blood before the presence of God as a testimony of the righteousness of the entire nation of Israel. So the priest on Yom Kippur would go in and offer us. So it was the one time a year that the priest brought and offered the sacrifice. Other times you brought it. And it had to be the right kind of sacrifice, and it had to be a spotless enough sacrifice in order to be accepted. But the priest offered it. In other words, God offered this lamb. And it was for the forgiveness of sin for the entire nation. And all they had to do was be in the nation. I mean, do you think some people in that crowd weren't deserving? You know what I mean? Like, but they still enjoyed the atonement. Now, that was a temporary covering of sin, what we experience is something completely different. We experience a cleansing and a removal of sin from that heavenly spiritual blood of Christ. It's a very powerful thing that happens to us that, 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 that we must know as New Covenant believers that we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We are changed. He washes out that root of sin and gives us a new heart. And we are forever new creations in Him. Amen? So then this happens, Hebrews 9. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
that is not made with hands, that is to say, not part of this creation. And, I, and, I've, and I, I, you know, I've said it, but this is like one of my favorite. This, I'm, this is where I'm going when I get to heaven, as soon as I can. I'm going to wherever this is. Wherever he went and offered his blood on that heavenly holy of holies, that place that was not made with hands, that place that he's talking about here that Jesus went into, says he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. I want to go see that. Don't you? I want to look at it, see it, and be thankful for it because it's still there. And I think it will forever be there as a testimony of our righteousness, a remembrance of what he did for us. In just a minute, we're all going to take communion together, and we can use that as our connection point to him when he went into that place. We take the body and the blood, the, the bread and the juice in this place as a remembrance of what he did, but the real thing happened. It's a symbol what we do here, but the real thing exists, and we remember it together. Um, so then a little bit further down in Hebrews uh, 9, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven himself now to appear for us in God's presence. And then in Colossians it says that he presents us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable to the Father. Say, I am unreprovable. That's pretty good. You did pretty good on that one. I am that joy. I have peace with God. I am righteous. I am holy. And I am unreprovable because of the blood of Christ. You want to overcome your failures? Quote that and believe it and let it empower you because then grace comes alive. You know, we've been talking about this grace series where... Faith accesses grace, and our faith is in Him, and your faith is in this, that He went into the presence of God for you, as you. You put your faith in that? How dare you believe that you're not righteous before the Father? How dare you think that your repetitive sin is going to wreck your salvation? Don't keep sinning. It's not a smart thing to do. But realize He's relating to you through different context. Let's keep going, Hebrews 10, just a couple more. And by that will, we have been made holy. Say, I am holy. I, am holy. I have been made holy. And it's not progressive. It's not you get a little bit of it and then you got to grow it into, you don't start with it as a spiritual seed and then perfect it through physical works or carnality. You live within it. It is a full-grown holiness that you've been given. And then he gives you grace to live well within it. Amen? So, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And the insinuation is that the blood of goats and bulls couldn't take away sin, but his blood can. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins 
forever sat down at the right hand of God. Say, I'm seated with him in that place. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And his church, us now, the body of Christ, are exercising his authority in this earth, defeating his enemies. And he's doing it through us. We are not a weak church waiting to be rescued from destruction. We are a strong, powerful church, ambassadors for Christ, in the middle of a time where there are wheat and tares, weeds, weeds and wheat, right? In the end, he said, there's going to be weeds and wheat, but the kingdom shall prevail. We are of that kingdom. Amen? Amen. Don't be afraid. Don't look at the world and think, oh, man, you know, the devil's really big. He's just, he's one. We just give up on this world. Well, that's what he wants. That's what the enemy wants is for us to give up on this world. Don't give up on this world. I mean, don't. Fight till the end because Jesus is coming. And we don't want to be hiding in caves until he shows up and just give it up. Why would we do that? We have the power of the living God within us. We have a mandate to go into the world and preach the gospel, to declare the victory of Jesus, our King, fully qualified to represent Him because of this. Amen? For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, not going to go into it. I did it not that long ago, but in Greek, there's a, there's a verb tense that we don't really have in English. There's different verb tenses. What, it, what it's actually saying is you were sanctified and then you are continuing to be sanctified, not you were saved and then your sanctification grows. It's that you, it's, you, you have been sanctified and he will continue to sanctify you, keep you sanctified. It's, a, it's his work. Amen? Amen? All right, so I have been sanctified, I am righteous, and I am holy. Make that your mantra. When you're facing depression, when you're facing fear, when you're worried about your financial future, when your kids aren't making the greatest decisions or they're just hurting. You know, when you think about your past and the mistakes that you made, remember this. You know, remember this. And it's not mercy in God saying, well, you know, you just keep on sinning. No, he gives you grace to overcome. Mercy for forgiveness and grace to empower. Hebrews 10, a couple more. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. This is where Jesus just went. Jesus just went into this place with his own blood. And we have confidence to enter that place. Now, and your spirit, you know, I imagine it this way, and we don't understand everything that's going on in that spirit dimension, but in some way, you, the real you, the eternal you, is in that place now. Own it confidently so that that Truth of who you are before the Father affects the rest of your life in this place. Amen? So like if you are living in such a way that's contrary to what you know you are before the Father, think of and believe and own your identity there and let it emanate back into this realm and you be willing to make the changes that come with that. Because a lot of times we're not willing to humble ourselves to let him change our desires. 
we think, oh, well, you know, heaven's there. I'm going to get in, but I'm going to struggle here. You don't have to. Grace is alive. Amen? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a full, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Again, this is, this is Levitical priesthood language. When the priest would go in with the blood and sprinkle it, that whatever it was sprinkled on was purified, sanctified, cleansed, which left it holy. Like to, be, to become holy, you have to go through the process of sanctification. So sanctification is the sprinkling of the blood, which becomes holy, which makes it ready to be used by God. You have been sanctified. You are holy. God lives in you now to empower you and strengthen you and give you wisdom and give you incredible insight to give to other people to assure to them that God loves them. Empower working through your hands to lay hands on the sick and, and witty inventions and ideas so that you can be incredibly financially blessed to be a blessing on this earth. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. Right now, inside of you, the Spirit of God is teaching you, giving you wisdom, giving you insight, instructing you. Yes, he might correct. Yes, he might discipline. Yes, he might chastise. But he does it with his word, and he does it from your identity. It's almost like he holds up the real you, and he looks at what you're doing. He's like, hey, look, this is who you really are. My word says this. This is what I've done in you. That's killing you. That's destroying you. That's how God's chastising you. God's not whipping you with a tornado. God's not sending a tornado into the land to destroy your home, yet protect you from it, but your loss of house is now going to teach you a lesson. It's so carnal to think that God moves that way. All right, let's keep going. So this is what I want to go into, and let's go ahead and have the band come on up, and you guys that I asked to pass out the communion cups, if you guys would. Um, we're going to take communion together, and we're going to remember all that we just discussed here. We just, we're going to remember and think about all that he just went through for us and what it means for you. And so as we're taking communion collectively during this next song, and, and if you guys wrap up this song and want to keep going, that's fine too. That's really just up to how, wherever you want to go with it. Um, I will, I'll go ahead and, and say be generous be generous, be generous, because it teaches your heart even more how to trust God. Amen? We'll have toward the end a slide up that's got ways to give if you'd like to give. But I want to end this just completely focused on him. So as these guys are passing, guys and girls are passing these around here, um, just make sure that you get, make sure that you get a, um, a cup. And then let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. You know, before Jesus was arrested, he met with his disciples <clears throat> and he told them, do this in remembrance of me, right? He set a 
ordinance in place. He gave us a ritual that we could engage to remember him. Let me grab one of those two from somebody when you get done. Anybody still need one? Thank you. Raise your hand if you still need one. Yeah. This section back here, Linda, if you want to raise your hand if you need one. All right, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And let's just get ready to take this. Does everybody have one? I'll just pray over these elements as you guys make your way back to the seat. Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us Jesus. Just set your heart on Jesus, you know. Remember what we talked about today. Him either raising up out of that grave, speaking to you, or going into that heavenly place with his own blood, or extending that to you and bringing you to him, offering you as holy before the Father. You know, just set your heart on those things, the spiritual side of what happened to you. Just forget about your physical self, forget about your life, forget about your past, and think about only one thing, that which Jesus did to you in that spiritual side. See that side of yourself and feel that side of yourself, even in just this moment. That part of you that is in heaven, that part of you that has eternal redemption forever, that's who you are. And just say that. Say, I am the joy that Jesus endured the cross for. I am righteous. I am holy. I am sanctified. I am accepted before the Father. I have eternal redemption. The Spirit of the living God dwells in me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We worship you. We lift up our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We thank you that in that garden you faced just horror. You knew what was coming, but for us, you endured it. For us, you endured it. Now, if you want to go ahead and peel off the top and just kind of have it ready. 1 Corinthians 11:23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we remember your body. We remember your body that was cursed and broken for us, that veil through which we enter the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and just thank you thank you jesus